Welcome to the Literature in Laws podcast. I'm Judah. And I'm Daniel. We are brother-in-laws who love reading books and discussing them. We analyze the merits of books for their strengths, weaknesses, and outlook on the world. Thank you for joining us on this literary journey. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking on our third episode of the Literature in Laws podcast. Today's book is um, an intriguing one, to say the least. Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. So Daniel will be talking in just a little bit about why he recommended this book. This was his pick for the podcast. Um, But just to give just a kind of quick overview of the book, the book is a memoir slash theological rant um, in some ways about the prosperity gospel and a lady's, um, a Christian lady's life as she was just struck very suddenly by a cancer diagnosis. And she's wrestling with trusting God in the midst of this, understanding what faith looks like in contrast to growing up in the prosperity gospel movement. Um, and she's also writing her like PhD doctorate on uh, the prosperity gospel throughout the book. So there's a lot of different interactions that are taking place. It's a very, it's a very unique book. Um, and it's written in, it's written in first person. It's a memoir. But, uh, before we get too much into the contents of the book, Daniel, why did you pick it? So this book was one that I saw on Goodreads that it there's the suggested reading and I know there's the cliche don't judge a book by its cover and I didn't want to judge this book by the title because I think I I had a gut reaction against the title. Sure. Um and I and think that's kind of the goal. <laughs> it was a yeah. very good title. Yeah. And so I wanted to have a conversation with Judah about this um about this book going into it there was no preconceived ideas of well we're gonna love it or hate it we just we both read it so we can have a conversation about it yep we hadn't heard of the author um although she has written several other books i realized daniel you wanted to start off by reading a little bit of the preface to us so uh let's go ahead and do that yeah since we're not doing the typical, since, since this isn't a yes. fiction work. This is our first nonfiction book that we are discussing, so it's going to be different. <laughs> so, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited also. Um, we're going to read the preface, a little bit of the preface, um, so that way you can get an understanding of what's going on, what she's trying to write in her book, Yep. just to give context for what we talk about later. Yeah. So... Um, The preface starts with, there's a branch of Christianity that promises a cure for tragedy. It is called by many names, but most often it is nicknamed the prosperity gospel for its bold claim that God will give you your heart's desire, money in the bank, a healthy body, a thriving family, and boundless happiness. Then it goes on to say, the prosperity gospel is a theodicy, an explanation for the problem of evil. It is an answer to the question that take our lives apart. Why do some people get healed and some people don't? Why do some people leap and land on their feet while others tumble all the way down? Why do some babies die in their cribs and some bitter souls live to see their great-grandchildren? The prosperity gospel looks at the world as it is and promises a solution. It guarantees that faith will make a way. 
Woo. Yeah. And you you said something that you wanted. There was a part of the end of the preface that you yes. wanted to read. Could yeah. you go ahead and read that? Let me jump to that real quick. So just her last paragraph of the preface says, I wish this were a different kind of story. But this is a book about befores and afters and how people in the midst of pain make up their minds about the eternal questions. Why? Why is this happening to me? What could I have done differently? Does everything actually happen for a reason? If I accept that what is happening is something I cannot change, can I learn how to let go? So as we're going to discuss this book, we're going to be wrestling with that question along with the author. And um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the rating of this book. and. It's, it's going to be a little bit convoluted. Both me and Daniel sort of discussed it. The book isn't terribly gripping. It's it's not our favorite, like, writing style and, and other things along those lines. I mean, we could, you know, go detail for detail and talk about what we did or didn't like just in regards to, you know, a more literary sense. But there is a lot of grace to be had in this situation because the author is someone i mean if you read the story it is it's a depressing book it's it's a heart-wrenching story because she, she has a stage for yeah terminal diagnosis of cancer that she's writing this book while doing yes and she talks about like throughout the book that especially towards the end she doesn't know if she'll even survive the next two months because she's on an experimental treatment and um, different things of that sort so in the midst of all of that like it, it may not be our favorite book from that perspective, but we're going to be discussing it much more regarding its content than how it may or may not have like intrigued us per se. Uh, did I did I state that decently yeah, well? I th- I think I would just say it's it's a bit rough around the edges. Sure, it's not it's not refined as I'm sure what her writing would be if she wasn't um, struggling with cancer. Yeah, so. What would be your initial rating for the book? And um, on a scale of one to ten, one being like this is I regret reading this. Ten being this is going on my shelf and I'm going to read it at least once a year. Sure. It's I mean, this is a tough book to rate because and we'll discuss this a little bit at the end when we talk about whether or not we'd sort of recommend it and what our takeaways are. I wouldn't recommend this book to people. Um, And we'll talk about why. But in the midst of that, it does get you thinking about a lot of things. But I actually wouldn't recommend it to someone who's struggling with the things that she's struggling with. Which is is odd because the book's sort of supposed to be a a memoir. And you'd, you'd look at the title and you'd think, okay, maybe this is the kind of book that's going to encourage me. But it doesn't really feel like that. And because I feel like it falls short in some of those areas, I'm just going to have to give it a 5 out of 10. That's that's where I'm going to put it. Like, I'm not complaining that I read it. It was it was very interesting. Um, and her story is really touching, very heart-wrenching. But yeah, what about you, Daniel? I share the similar sentiment that I wouldn't recommend it to someone who is going through tragedy. However, I would recommend it to someone who knows someone who's going through tragedy. This is the reason is because she is writing as someone who's going through it. You feel with her when people just say really stupid things to her. Absolutely. And so if you're, 
if you know someone who's going through a tragedy, this would be a really good book to read so you can basically know what not to say to someone who's suffering. Yeah. Because sometimes it just will make it worse when you're trying with the best intentions, trying to comfort someone, you actually just make a wound even deeper. So that would be the reason why I would recommend it. I would probably, I'll probably give it a six to seven, somewhere around that range. Okay. Um, I most likely won't read this book again, but I'm glad I read it and glad to have this conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'd want to say one, I'm going to say one comment before we jump right in. Absolutely. You know, th- there are a lot of books out there that deal with topics like this. Um, and it's important because especially from a Christian perspective, you know, suffering is, it's one of the largest topics out there. I mean, Christ's death and resurrection is all about his suffering. Our salvation is all about his suffering. There's one chapter in the Bible, Genesis 1, that doesn't have suffering in it and everything after that, other than prophecies and revelation and um, and Daniel. And yes, I, I saw end. Daniel's face. Um, other than the end and the promises there. But that's the Genesis 1 is the only point where suffering hasn't entered human existence. Everything after that, we are plagued with the with the ramifications of sin. And this book is wrestling with that. And the prosperity gospel, I would argue, does not handle it well. But we're going to be talking about that. And despite the prosperity gospel not handling it well, I think their solution is a lot simpler than what the Bible presents. Um, It's a lot easier. Go ahead. Like I think that's a great idea, but like, can you explain it a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, and and what I mean by that is the idea, and we'll we'll talk about this. Actually, let let me just go ahead and share a quote that she talks about in the book from yeah, page absolutely. fifteen. In a spiritual world in which healing is a divine right, illness is a symptom of unconfessed sin, a symptom of a lack of forgiveness, unfaithfulness, unexamined attitudes, or careless words. So, in the prosperity gospel's eyes, illness, sickness. Anything that's resulting in downfall in your life, you got fired from your job, something like that, it's not possible for that to be anything other than lack of faith or unrepentant sin or something of that sort. And I would strongly disagree with that, and we'll talk about why. So, but go ahead. Can I throw in something uh, here? Of I actually, my most recent sermon that I preached, the point of the sermon. It was from Jeremiah 6, um, was that sometimes God allows suffering. He causes suffering in people's lives for rebellion against him. Mm-hmm. How, do, how would you say that difference from what the prosperity gospel is saying? Well, I think... Or do you just think that I'm wrong? No, no, no. I, I mean, I absolutely agree. God... You know, the Bible says God disciplines those that he loves. So it's, I mean, there are certainly, certainly times in Christians' life where suffering is the result of their poor choices or unfaithfulness, right? Like, I mean, if your family is poor because you gambled all of your money away, well, that's, that's on you. And, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's a justifiable argument to say why the prosperity gospel is right. No. Um, I, I, I'm. 
I'm, I'm drawing a blank at the second for the best biblical reason I can think of regarding what you're asking, though. The way I view it is more of, it's the key word is sometimes. This is not an all the time thing. The prosperity gospel views it as black and white always that if you do not, if you have an ailment and you don't get healing for it, it's because of your own sin or your own lack of faith that God's not able to work, Yeah, which makes it a big issue when, um, because the power to actually do the healing is based on you, not on God, which that can create a dangerous theology. Oh, absolutely. And thank you, Daniel. Sometimes I just need your uh, wisdom to get me back on track. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if you're like this ever, but I just need like a comment or another person's thought. And then I'm like, okay, now I know what I'm actually thinking. Um, John nine, John chapter nine, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about the man born blind. And he says, neither he nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. He was born blind so that the works of God might be Wasn't displayed in him. Or, yes, I think you're disciples. right. Uh, as Jesus went along, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Yes. Yeah, good catch. Thanks. Um, but yeah, a perfect example of a time where Jesus literally says, no, this is not a result of sin. It's not like not sin. Instead, God's glory is to be demonstrated through him. So that's that's a pertinent example of a time where you can't make it as either it's unfaithfulness or faithfulness, sin or righteousness. Yeah. Instead, Jesus points to it very clearly. This is one example. It's not saying that this is what happens every single time. This is one example. Every human is unique. Um, but, Daniel, this question I'm about to ask you is one that you wrote down, but it, it goes right along with what you're asking. So she yeah. talks she talks throughout the book about her interactions with the Prosperity Gospel Church. She she talks about a time she went to Joel Osteen's church and he uh she describes very vividly her walking through the ginormous parking lot and going up, you know, elevators and these flashing billboards and merchandise oh, oh, for, for the pastor and for you a know, good Friday service. Right. Uh yeah. there wasn't much there wasn't much lament during a good Friday service. Um which lament is a very interesting biblical category that we could discuss for a very long time. But regardless, she sort of talks about this idea of babies, uh, the prosperity gospel showing these chubby-cheeked babies, well-dressed individuals, nice houses, nice car. What are your thoughts about how the prosperity gospel presents the gospel to this world? Yeah, and I think she talks about how the gospel in the prosperity movement is a very tangible gospel because you can point to man that person that person's blessed by god see can't you see their family can't you see them rolling out in their minivan from their white picket neighborhood so like like you can point to the gospel the prosperity gospel at work um this is what christ died for so that way sure. you okay. can be well off, um, well off individuals have a great family. Um, Christ came to take away the sickness. Um, he bore the disease um, in his body. So you 
by faith can walk in a way that others will see you are blessed by the gospel. And again, there's there's something that's attractive about being able to put your finger on the gospel. Sure, it feels to like see it working out. Yeah. Because and this was this is something that I that hit me while I was listening to it. So, it reminded me of a book um, that I read a while back by James Cone called The Cross and the Lynching Tree, where he discusses um, liberation theology. Okay. And he very much points the gospel is the fact when groups or people groups experience freedom, earthly freedom. And so, again, it's that same concept of being able to touch, being able to see what the gospel does versus we would say there's not necessarily you can't always put your finger on the work of the gospel for instance someone who becomes a christian is indwelt by the holy spirit yep they might not look any different the day before and the day after it might take 30 years for there to be a noticeable difference sometimes we won't see it until eternity well hopefully hopefully not 30 years <laughs> Hopefully not 30 years, but like it can take, it takes time to process. It's a process and there's not a light bulb that comes on that says the gospel has affected this person. Whereas with the prosperity gospel, it very much is, look, this person, the gospel has been like, the gospel is clearly in their life. Yeah. And both of us sort of talked about the concept in this book. it's it's a hard book to discuss because she talks a lot about theology, but in another sense, she doesn't. And just like she talks a lot about the prosperity gospel, but she doesn't like theologically wrestle with their arguments. She's more just sort of expressing practical grievances against it, maybe would be the best way to put it. I think a little bit we as believers that don't subscribe to the prosperity gospel would sort of maybe sometimes throw out the baby with the bathwater and that, and I, I mean that in the sense of what I think the prosperity gospel does very well, and I'm going to be very careful how I express this because I don't think it does a lot well, um, is that it does attribute earthly blessings as being from God. And I think we need to be careful um, as Christians as we walk through our daily lives, you know, if, if you get a promotion from work or, you know, if you get a, I don't know, a, a free sub at Subway or something like that anything as minute as that. Now, does it necessarily mean that you are being more faithful to God or you're being more obedient? No, I don't I don't think the Bible says that anywhere. But what it does say is every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the, and, what, what's it? I can't even remember the next part of that verse. Um, Something of the, the Father, Father of Lights. Lights. Yeah. God loves to give good gifts to his children. Yeah. It's not like God is stingy, but the thing about a gift is it's not like we earn it. It's not it's not a deserved gift, but anything that anything that comes in our life and blesses us in any way, we're we are called to be believers who live lives of gratitude. It's like I'll, I'll often pray when it's a cloudy day, like God, I know I'm not entitled to this, but would you make the sun shine? Yeah, and oftentimes the sun starts shining, but if it doesn't start shining, it's not like as there's a problem with my own heart. Like, did I not ask in faith? I believe God can make the sun shine. I always believe that. Yeah. It's just that day, it stayed cloudy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the prosperity gospel wants to make it so cut and dry, so black and white. And the gospel is black and white about a lot of things, right? But 
it's not black and white about everything. And this is an area that I wanted to get into. I don't know the best way to put this, and it is a critique of the book at large, but for a book that is talking about the prosperity gospel, there's not a lot of actual gospel being talked about. I think that's mostly probably because of where she has come from. This is the only gospel that she's really known. And that's totally valid. And, you know, it might be it might be more of a like if I had written the book, this is what I would have wanted to put in. But I think we as if we aren't careful as believers that we don't build our own house instead of tearing others down, then other beliefs and systems are going to come in and build our own house for us because we have not provided any substance for our own. You know, as believers, we need to know what we believe first and foremost before we need to know what we don't believe. And it's it's absolutely important to provide critique of the prosperity gospel because there's a lot of things wrong with it. And we could spend, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about how we don't believe it's accurate to scripture. And I think it's interesting of her discussion that the prosperity gospel is a theodicy, a, a wrestling with the question of how can God be good and bad things still happen? Yeah. But the thing that undermines the prosperity gospel is suffering itself. The thing that it seeks to answer is the very thing that undermines it. Yeah. It doesn't work when you examine it and people still walk away broken, even though they gave everything to the movement, even though they tried to claim the promises, they still are broken because this, this world is not meant to be the perfect reality. I think that's something that it gets wrong. Oh, absolutely. Really, the only way for you could, you could talk about suffering and what the Bible says about it constantly. Every book of the Bible talks about suffering in some way or another. Um, but I think what the Bible's best answer for suffering is, is what Christ did for us on our behalf, because we, every human suffers. Like, suffering is common to humanity. But the Bible also says that Christ entered into human flesh and suffered on our behalf, and he has been tempted in every way that we have. He's, you know, experienced every human experience that we have. He knows what we go through. He's all-knowing, but he's also... Father. Yeah. With Joseph dying. Like, I mean, he's, he's known grief. Absolutely. Um, I mean, he's he's known physical torture, emotional torture. He's had friends abandon him. Like he, He's been through everything. Um, not to mention that he bore the entire weight of the sins of all of humanity ever on his back. Um, I mean, what? first of all, what a gift. But second of all, to know that our Savior suffered on our behalf. And, you know, even though Christ's death on the cross doesn't provide, uh, you know, an end to the present suffering that we go through, what it does provide is a promise and a commitment that he will come again, um, because through his suffering, through his suffering and faith in him and what he did on the cross, we will eventually be made whole. And, I mean, I would also add the resurrection, the hope of new life. Oh, yeah. In there. Yeah, that's what, um, yeah. Even the title of the book, Everything Happens for a Reason, which she then points like, you know, comes from 
Romans 8. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Yes, that one. Good job from having Thanks. it memorized and Thanks. I didn't. It's a common Christmas card. Yeah, absolutely. Ca- um, verse. Great verse. How would you say it's been misunderstood in general oftentimes? Well, good has to mean that whatever we want and however we want it, right? I mean, it has to. Well, yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the misinterpretation. Is all and, things work together for good? Well, that's the human definition of good, not God's definition of good. Sir, no, that's not how it works. And that's, I think, the issue is that when someone has believed that for their entire, like, that's what they believe. God works things together for good in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. They then miss when things become really rough. We keep on thinking. It's really easy to fall into this thinking of, I can't wait to see what God's going to do with this. I know God's going to do something incredible with this. You might be thinking, man, maybe this will just, I'll be able to reach my dad finally with the gospel. Or maybe I'll be able to do this because I'm suffering. Like God's going to use this in a fantastic, right. in like- a really big way. I've been diagnosed with cancer so that I can start a cancer ministry to other people so that because I know what they're going through. Right, exactly. I think that is it's bad theology and it's not just in prosperity gospel. This is just everyone kind of deals with this kind of thinking. I just can't wait to see what God does with this. And it's hard when we don't we will not know an answer for some things. We will not not know the reason why God has put this suffering in our life until maybe when we see him face to face, because the ultimate goal of this life is to be more like if you go further past Romans 8, 28 to like 29 and on is to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's the end goal. The other stuff is, is a side note. And like, I mean, just like we said earlier, like not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which is a, a phrase that I love to. I don't know if it's a Midwest thing. Probably not. No, it's probably not. No, it's it's a, it's everywhere thing. Okay, darn it. It can be your it can be your tag phrase. Yeah, Jesel Pete's that originates from my county. I do know that. Um, sorry, that was a really random side note. But <laughs> what I was trying to get at, it's. I mean, God does use suffering to grow us. I mean, that's that's very biblical, right? Um, Paul talking with God, asking for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. God says, my strength is perfected in weakness. You- wait. My, wait. My strength is perfected in weakness. Something along those okay. lines. Um, yes. And so God does use our suffering. And I think what Daniel said is the most important, though. God uses our suffering to conform us more to the image of him. That's first and foremost. Anything else as to how we may reach other believers or have a more effective ministry or something, those can absolutely be a result of the suffering, but we shouldn't be viewing suffering as a, um, I, I don't, I don't know the best way to put it as a means to the end maybe. Yeah. And in page 159 of the book, she has a quote that a friend told her and it says, don't skip to the end. And I think that's kind of what she's trying to get at with the book. And I actually, I think Daniel would agree with me. I really like that point. Yeah. Um, and it it's not saying, my, like my immediate gut reaction, you hear that quote, you're like, what, don't think with an eternal perspective or don't look, no, that's not what it's saying. 
what it's saying is, to the best of my knowledge, and at least how I, how I viewed the book, is that when you're in the midst of suffering, don't look ahead to the end to see what God is going to do with it, what God is going to um, change uh, in your life, or how he may or may not bless you, or how this is or isn't unfaithfulness. Um, now, those are all elements to think about, discuss, pray about, all that, not throwing any of that away, but live in the present, recognize that God is with you day by day, his mercies are new every morning, and don't take what you have for granted. There's, it's, it's so easy to, in the midst of suffering, um, you know, lament and wonder, when is this going to end? When is this all that? Um, and that's not unhealthy, but don't forget that although you have everything that you're going through, you still live in the present and God can still use you in your current circumstances. And I would add to that is it can be very tempting to look at the past. If God was with me, then he's abandoned me now, or God will be with me there then once it's all better. But to recognize that even in the suffering, even in the heartache, God is still with you. Yeah. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Um, I do want to, before we kind of conclude, I'm going to give my last thought. When anyone talks about the subject of suffering, it's really, really easy to come across as stale because if you are suffering yourself, um, the easiest, I'm going to call it a lie of the devil, is that no one knows what I'm going through. No one can understand. God doesn't understand. God isn't with me. And all of those doubts and feelings are completely valid understandable to have, but that doesn't make them true, right? Feelings don't, uh, you know, the the amount of feelings you have about something does not determine the truth or um, fallibility of something. So even though Daniel or I haven't necessarily experienced anything that someone listening might be going through or someone that's recommend this or someone who's reading the book, you know, may even feel like, oh, but this author doesn't understand exactly what I'm going through. Well, of course, we don't. We're human. But God does, and it's really easy to come across as calloused. There's a whole um, appendix that Daniel uh, read that talks about how to talk to someone who is suffering, and that is one of the areas that modern Christianity gets it so, so, so wrong, and we need so, so, so much discernment and love when we talk to people who are suffering because, frankly, we don't get it most of the time, and we don't know how to do it right. A lot of what you need to do is learn how to stop talking and start listening and just be there, be there, be present, and let God do the work. So those are my thoughts. Daniel? Well, I think for kind of just some closing thoughts on this topic and this book, um, on the topics of suffering in general, if you're not suffering, this is the perfect time to start wrestling through why do, why is suffering here? Yeah. Because when you're in the midst of suffering, you are going to be very emotionally raw to where you can't healthily think through these situations. That doesn't mean you shouldn't wrestle with it then. It's just the much better time to do it is before you start suffering. We are all going to suffer at some point. Different oh, yeah. levels. So it's 
not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because we live in a broken world. I mean, there's there's a reason that so many of the descriptions of God throughout the Bible are that of a strong tower, that of a rock, a firm foundation. Daniel, did you have one last point? I was thinking about closing us out with a um, song by John Newton. He's the one who wrote Amazing Grace, and it's about suffering. I think it's a good way to end. This inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thine all in me. Mm, That's good. Yeah. Suffering. So that way we know more of who God is. Yep. Absolutely. And last point to say, guys, neither of us are God. So find your wisdom from scripture, not us. That's what's most important. That's God's words. We aren't. So anything we said, compare it to scripture. See if we were right. That's the only way you can know. That's the Bible talks about that all the time. Find your hope in him. Um, But thanks for joining us, guys. This was a fun discussion. Everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved by Kate Bowler. Check it out. Next podcast is going to be number four. So we'll see you guys then.